I was constantly cold. I used to have to have two, three showers a day. And everyone was like, that's weird. You've got to go to the doctor about that. And I did that. And the doctor's advice was, have you thought about moving somewhere a little bit warmer? And that's that's not doctor bashing. It's just because neither he nor I realized that I was that was a sign of the anorexia. Dave Chorner had been struggling with eating disorders since he was a teenager, but he only acknowledged that years later, when he was diagnosed with anorexia. Today he uses comedy to talk about mental health and to remove the stigma of eating disorders as he recovers from his battle with anorexia. Dave is an author of the book Weight Expectations – One Man's Recovery from Anorexia. Hello, this is Indra and the I Bounce Back podcast. This is episode 11, Dave Chorner battling anorexia with laughter. Uh, yeah, so I, I personally think that comedy is the place where mental health should be talked about because the thing that really gets me is like one in four people has mental illness and we know that and that's really terrible, but four in four people have mental health and it kind of really frustrates me that we always talk about mental illness rather than mental well-being. We always talk about mental illness rather than like the positive sides and you know what, like whenever we talk about physical health, it's not always broken limbs and like tracheotomies, it's, it's, it's the good stuff. So I, I kind of think that it's actually a job of a campaigner to make something interesting and to grab people by the throat and sort of say listen to this and I think comedy has this beautiful universe universalization that you know what like I think music and comedy are two of the very things that transgress boundaries you know I, I can't speak Chinese but I could still see some Chinese or Asian slapstick and, and find it funny and I think that's amazing it's a very universal um tool and the reason i wanted to use comedy was like when i went to university i thought i'd uh, go into this comedy cup and i i loved it and i thought it was amazing but one of the things i really loved about it was like if you actually listen to like most comedy people are talking about you know you got michael mcintyre talking about like oh i don't think i'm a, a good enough father you've got russell howard who was talking about never being able to have a, a proper girlfriend and being a freak and having a lazy eye and you've got all of these people talking about loneliness like depression and, and, and anxiety about being a parent but it was funny and it was engaging and I thought you know like instead of sort of always talking about the bad stuff with mental health wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be incredible if we could talk about you know use humor to talk about the the sides of it that generally aren't really that talked about so I think it's really important for me to to use comedy because I genuinely think that when I do stand up, when I do comedy, that is the person that I want to be. That's the person that I want to be remembered as. Uh, and that's why I kind of do that, because I think it's it's like the comedy that I do is the sort of version of me that I am when I'm mentally healthy. And I want to nurture and propagate that and sort of let that grow. And how do people react when you start making jokes about like very serious things let's say how do they accept it well i remember like so the first i did edinburgh was 2013 i remember sort of saying to people oh, i'm doing a doing a show about anorexia now and uh, people are like, oh jesus because i think a lot of people were i think a lot of people were worried it was you know taking the mick and i think that's the difference the difference between comedy and bullying is who is being laughed at and yes you can use humor to ingrain stereotypes and lazy things that people can sort of think or you can use that to challenge them and so i think sometimes people are like oh what can you say you know that is that that is funny because you know things like anorexia has the highest mortality of any mental illness probably not right for comedy but the the attitudes and the things that i did are very funny like for example when i was a teenager you know i became obsessed with exercising and i kept on like running up to my room i was doing press-ups i was doing push-ups i was doing sit-ups and and i said to my mom you know like when i was at home i was doing all this exercise you must have realized something was up and she said well we did and i said you know well why did you never say anything and she said well dave in our defense when your teenage son keeps on running up to his room and all you can hear is rhythmical banging followed by repeated grunting. You tend not to ask questions. And it's just that kind of like the way that you can see something from a complete flip reverse. And I think I think that's one of the things I love about comedy. It has a very um, 
it has a very equalizing uh, effect it's it's not up its own bottom it, it is very uh sort of very practical and i think you can use that brilliant mm, let's dive in into your story so you develop an eating disorder when you were a teenager what has triggered your anorexia did you have any insecurities about weight or like your physical appearance I always say that like I, I developed the eating disorder rather than like it began just purely because like it wasn't something that happened. Like I didn't wake up one Tuesday. I was like, you know, I'm not going to eat. And, and I think that's that's the, the genuine truth of it, because I think people around me realized that I've got a problem with uh, like anorexia. I would say with my eating, but actually it never really symptomized as my eating. But I think people realize I've got a problem with sort of food and my, my body issue long before I did. Um, and I think one of the, the earliest sort of signs that things were right was uh, 2000 six uh i was in this school play which was terrible and i was like a bully in it and i only now kind of realize that it's, it's really blooming weird uh that i had to a bit topless in that play. i don't know why any school play should ask any teenager to be topless but there you go that was in the script and it was the first time that i thought about getting my little doughy body out in front of people and i started losing weight um just in order to sort of make that easier and as i started losing weight something really weird happened was that people kept on saying to me like oh congratulations and like and well done and i was like oh okay and I, I didn't realize i was doing anything and people oh you look good like well done on losing the weight you look and that people kept on saying it was it was good and using all of these like really positive uh sort of words and positive vocab and you know like i am a person that is incredibly insecure um no shocker there and, and the fact that people were like congratulating me on this i was like oh okay that was good and you know as i started losing weight i got noticed by this uh, incredible girl and girls had never really you know sort of cared about me before and i was like oh that was you know oh, this is you know maybe i'm onto something here and i still never saw that as an eating disorder and perhaps it wasn't at that point in time um but the problem is that i think it really kind of became accelerated when i started doing my uh, exams i did my a levels and i got uh, coursework i got resets i've got exams coming up and that was also compared with the fact that i got like you know universities that i was applying to i was as leaving my friends my family this girl that i just started dating and everything felt really 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 out of control and i couldn't really cope with any of that and I couldn't make sure that integration would come up on that maths exam and I, I couldn't make sure that Durham would accept my UCAS application but what I could do was I could restrict my calories I could exercise I could weigh myself and they were very tangible things that I could do that became a shortcut for me feeling good and I still didn't see that as a, a problem because they you know they developed over time at first I'd start weighing myself in the morning but then I was like oh that feels a bit like cheating because I'm really eating anything so I'd start weighing myself in the evening and then I'd sort of you know think well actually if I can nip home from school to start weighing myself in the middle of the day that will inspire me to eat less and I was weighing myself on like five or six times a day and all of these things developed they didn't begin so it became my normality and it was like my you know my mom was sort of crying and screaming at me like you're anorexic and my mates sort of used to take me aside and go mate I think you're anorexic mate but it, it, that seemed far too dramatic to explain what I was sort of going through and, and also as well something that i think that people don't talk about people get very guilty talking about i enjoyed it there were aspects of the anorexia i absolutely loved and that is not to glamorize eating disorders that's not to promote eating disorders that's actually to be very rigid and robust about the messaging which is there is a short-term benefit for a longer-term detriment but i think because people are awkward to talk about that enjoyment of being able to look at a well-stocked fridge and say, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna eat that. That kind of surging, ascetic, beautiful, soaring feeling of being able to step on the scales and see that your weight is dropping 
further further and also feeling that kind of like gnawing hunger in your body but being able to manage it that that was the short-term benefit but the longer-term detriment were things like you know my attention span went i was you know got like really dry skin i was constantly itching myself i was massive mood swings i i couldn't uh sort of remember anything so that may be really hard to to talk to and it also kind of made me really hard to socialize and whenever i go out i'd be really really sleepy and like, if i'd have had a couple of drinks i'd just fall asleep so it, it, the, the thing that really got me was people was like well anorexia is bad this is bad and a i didn't classify what i was doing as anorexia because all of the stories that i read were massively um sort of dramatic you know people were like fainting weighing less than a bag of crisps their chest looked like a toast rack and mine didn't and i never really felt that thing but also even if i i had come to the realization like as the weight dropped lower that oh am i anorexic i i didn't kind of akin what i was going through to anorexia what, because the, go yeah, on what was your rationale why were you doing this because i think men have more pressure to build muscle mass and you were going to an opposite direction i was running away from a lot of things so i never really liked being a bloke that's one of the things that I, i to be honest in many ways i hate being a bloke um so this kind of i don't think it's any uh coincidence that this sort of developed around the age of, of being a teenager and all of my friends uh, started becoming sexually active and sex became on the cards and and uh i didn't really like that and i didn't like that for a number of reasons firstly it's like i, I was never good with girls because i think um you know when you try and flirt with someone that that puts you in a vulnerable place and no one expressed any interest in me ever so i was always kind of like well why would i why would i put myself out there only to get rejected but also i didn't like as well that a lot of my male friends uh like all of them were like what boobs and everything was about boobs or like trying to get their end away and stuff and i didn't like that because i had a lot of female friends and you know they're like oh boys are disgusting but boys are horrible uh, and and i kind of literally when you starve your body you also starve your brain and you can starve out that sex drive and that was one of the things that gave me it was a kind of it wasn't about um sort of enhancing it it was about taking a lot uh, away and also i think one of the reasons that i did it as well was i remember when we first started high school i remember there was this quite um sort of uh, larger framed chap and i remember people used to slap his belly in pe and whenever he used to take his clothes off uh in pe not not like in french but uh whenever we were getting changed he'd like take off his top and people would go whale time and and that set up a very distinct message to me that like if you are fat you are to be ridiculed that was the message that sent me so literally starving myself was like just trying to fade into the background fade into the great it wasn't about standing out it was about fading away and also like all of those kind of masculine like, I, i was i was never like a manly man and i think you know the, the the sex drive made me vulnerable and starving that out was great but it also starved out my masculinity which kind of created um a new identity for me as well because one of the things um that uh, sort of people do know is that when you starve your brain you uh get a testosterone which is like the manly chemical that's very power hungry so the brain stops secreting that and in the the, the sort of place of that testosterone and then you get estrogen which is the womanly chemical uh and so anorexic men can tend to be quite camp and feminine and womanly and i love that i love being feminine i love being like camp and so i still love camp things i think it was amazing it was brilliant and i, I love that that nothing makes me laugh more than like a double entendre and be oh like i think that's brilliant i think it's a funny way to be and uh, i think actually yeah that those are sort of some of the many underpinning things as well but also i think as well my family at that Uh, time my mom and dad grew up off the back of rationing so um food was very very scarce so food meant love it meant excitement it meant enjoyment and it's only like later years when i take my you know girlfriend up to my parents that i remember the first time i did she was like jesus i have never seen so much food in a house in my life and it's true mom and dad on their coffee table will have two or three bowls of nuts 
some chocolate raisins, some mini eggs. And then on the sideboard, there will be wrapped chocolates. There'll be celebrations. There'll be after eight mints. Food was everywhere when I was growing up. And one of the things you find with typically uh, restrictive eating disorders is a very binary mindset. So as I was trying to reduce my weight and stop eating, uh, it was easier to say to myself, no, I'm not going to eat rather than, oh, go on, I'll have one chocolate, but I'll stand. And actually, one of the things that people don't realize with the anorexia, especially with me, is um, that it wasn't like I never ate. I did, it wasn't like I didn't eat anything for the age of 16 to 24 when I got help. It was, I, obviously, I would eat. Otherwise, I would have died very quickly. But when I ate, I binged. Uh, and that was the kind of like binary because there was like food everywhere. You know, I'd get home from the pub and I'd just be like stuffing all this chocolate into my face and, and binging. I couldn't really I couldn't control that. It was it was um, sort of like, you know, someone that goes to the pub and has got an alcohol problem. Like, shut, shut, shut. That was like me, but with food. So I think there was loads of different things underneath it. And what we kind of tend to see that people that tend to be at risk tend to have a sort of very perfectionist mindset. They want to be the best. And that breeds into a, a very low self-esteem, a low self-evaluation. And again, that builds up that binary thinking that you're either brilliant or rubbish. And also something that as well that, you know, we tend to see that is definitely true of me is I had trouble expressing myself. No one explained to me how to use emotions. No one had really told me about emotional language. Like I could go to the doctor and say, I've got a pain in my stomach. And I'd tell him it was a, a throbbing pain, a localized pain, a stabbing pain, a numb pain. Whereas if I wanted to go to the doctors and say, there's a pain in my brain, I didn't have any words for that. So I literally used my body to show that there was something wrong with my mind. Well, everything started like quiet innocently, let's say with the theater play and trying to lose some weight. But how much time did it take uh, to spiral out of control? And um, how did you finally recognize that you needed help? I think like, it's weird because like a lot of people think understandably that anorexia is like a diet gone wrong. But for me, it was kind of um, it was a, a diseased coping mechanism. Uh, it was a, it was an obsession. And it wasn't even that much to do with the food. So I didn't realize that I'd got a, a problem. People could see that I was eating less and less, exercising more, getting thinner. But the real problems were the, the lack of attention span, the, the massive mood swings, the, the pains in, in, my, in my kidneys and the lack of um, sort of humor as well, to be honest, which is why I think humor is really important to use um, for this sort of stuff but um everyone kept on saying to me oh, you, you know you're anorexic and i sort of joked about it <laughs> i remember sort of saying to my mates you know like oh well i'm anorexic but, you know everyone needs a hobby and and just being very very glib about it but i didn't realize that this was actually a problem until i was 19 and uh something really really unique happened uh and it happened because basically I studied at University of English and Philosophy, uh, which is possibly the least useful degree course to get a job. And uh, that was in the middle of the financial crisis. And everyone was like, going, students aren't going to get jobs. And I thought, well, I am a poo creek without a paddle. So when a job came up over the university holidays, teaching English as a foreign language to kids from around the world in different camps in the UK, I kind of jumped to that chance. And I was down in this little area of uh, Britain called Dorset, which is really, it was Somerset, Dorset, it's really, really far away. So nearest to our boarding school the nearest village was three miles away and that's relevant because in the boarding school they served us uh, our food but it was only three times a day it was the first time there was no calorie count on any of the food you couldn't prepare it and all of the food was pizza pasta chips and I was just amazed how much that affected me 
So I started trying to avoid mealtimes, but then I would start binging. But because it was in a big food hall, the, the kids would see their teacher just shoving muffins in his face. And all of the teachers are like looking at me like, Jesus. And I, I was there like the honey monster, like, 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 like the cookie monster, just like, run, run, run. and everyone's like, oh, God. And it was horrible. And like getting stuff all chin and it was going everywhere because it, it was almost like an involuntary reflux. And I was like, Jesus. And I got really embarrassed about that. So I started nicking food and taking it to my room. But then that started like mice come in so that was banned and that was really embarrassing because people found out that i'd taken food in, into my room so then i started setting my alarm in the middle of the night so i could get up and do my exercises and i started exercising more and i, I couldn't focus on any of my lesson planning because i was constantly tying up calories i might have had in my brain so i was always doing mass equations in the back of my mind and i started then binging and purging and all of this stuff and like coffee loading, massive mood swings. I couldn't concentrate. I wasn't getting enjoyment out of anything. And it was just because one of the teachers said to me, oh, by the way, I've been in therapy for bulimia three times. And I find this a really difficult environment. Have you ever thought that you, uh, you might be anorexic? And that was the first time anyone had asked me about the eating disorder rather than telling me. And I acknowledged and accepted that I'd, you know, probably got an eating disorder, but I never did anything about it because I never felt anorexic enough. Um, and that was something that I kind of carried on with. I was always worried that, you know, if I go to doctor, they'd laugh me out and go, go on, Porky, stop wasting our time. But the thing is, anorexia isn't about weight it's about impact and a beautiful phrase someone later told me was you can just as easily drown in a puddle as you can in a lake it's it's not about figures on a scale it's about what's going on in your mental climate um and i only went to seek help because i knew what i was doing i knew that anorexia had the highest mortality rate of any mental illness and I knew where this was going. So I started writing the letters for after I was gone. I started um, taking certain things to make the, uh, the sort of death as painless as, as possible because some ways that you can die from anorexia are horrific. I mean, all ways are horrific, but there are some very long, painful, debilitating ways. So I tried to skew it into, and I knew the sort of BMI that I had to be uh, above so that they you know, couldn't inpatient me. And I went to the doctor purely because I'd stopped enjoying things. I'd stopped uh, getting any enjoyment out of anything. I was pushing people away. Today's episode is brought to you by Kangaroo. Kangaroo was created to ensure that everyone has access to home security. Every product Kangaroo makes starts with three questions. Is it simple? Can it be produced at a price that everyone can afford? And is it secure? With Kangaroo, you never pay for unnecessary bells and whistles, and you know your data is going to be secure. The front door security kit is a simple setup with no tools or tech geeks required. If you have Wi-Fi and a smartphone, you can use Kangaroo. Go to heykangaroo.com to learn more and start keeping your home safe today. And be sure to use the code RINGDONG for 20% off any Kangaroo complete subscription order. Today on the I Bounce Back podcast, we have a stand-up comedian and author, Dave Choner. He has been battling with anorexia for years, and today he uses his platform to raise awareness and fight the stigma about eating disorders. He says it wasn't the concern over his eating habits or physical well-being that led him to fully recognize the problem. It was depression that made him ask for help. To be 
honest, there were loads of times that I ended up in hospital. Like I had to go, I was constantly cold as well because food is fuel. And when you're not fueling your body, you're like constantly cold. And I remember I used to have to have two, three showers a day just in order to sort of try and be, and everyone was like, that's weird. You've got to go to the doctor about that. And I did that. And the doctor's advice was, have you thought about moving somewhere a little bit warmer? And that's, that's not doctor bashing. It's just because neither he nor I realized that I was, that was a sign of the anorexia. And yeah, I kind of went, I ended up in hospital because I was drinking coffee rather than eating. And that was reducing my pulse and I was getting heart, um, uh heart arrhythmias um and 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 there, there were loads of weird uh occasions like that that I, I sort of ended up in problems because of the the anorexia but the thing was i always used to say i'll go get help when there was always like an excuse i'll go get help when i get down to x stone and then i get down to that and then i'd be like okay well i feel all right I'll go to get help when I start fainting or I'll go to get help when I can't breathe. And all of these things, there was always an excuse. And it's very much like an addiction, you know, like one of my mates thought she does struggle with uh, booze. And the the common thing would always be like, yes, all right, I have, you know, sort of more than I would. But, you know, what, I'm not passing out. And then when you start passing out, you're like, yeah, but, you know, at least I'm able to work. And then you lose your job and you're kind of like, yeah, well, at least I can, you know, sort of still get home from the pub. It's it's always it's always, you know, I will get help when. So, yeah, there were many warning signs. But I just never paid any attention. But what was your lowest point then in terms of eating habits, your mental state and also your weight? I think I think my, my lowest uh, my lowest part was definitely like, yeah, when I was 23 and I was just uh, I'd, I'd gone full time in stand up then. And that means there's a lot of, you know, uh, uncertainty there. If, you know, some weeks I'd have enough money to live and then other weeks I wouldn't. And obviously they're not feeling good enough. You know, you kind of you're constantly thinking, oh, I'm not doing these gigs. I should be doing these gigs. And, you know, kind of a lot of uh, very poisoned uh thoughts um and when i talk about like lowest uh sort of ebbs I'll, i'll never like talk about weight because you don't want someone to hear that and think oh i'm not anorexic because i'm not that low because it's not to do with the weight it's to do with the impact and i i started getting behaviors that people think are strange so it's very common uh, well i've spoken to a lot of other people about this anecdotally but i used to drink quite a lot because um drink uh, like drinking used to help make me feel feelings even if they were rubbish feelings so I'd start sort of on the 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 gin at like midday and you know and that didn't help with the the memory and my housemate used to come home and he he's later told us that like we'd have the same conversation three or four times in an evening but I just I, I didn't have any uh memory or, or attention span for that and i wasn't really getting any enjoyment out of anything and i realized that i was heading towards completing this journey shall we say like anorexia eventually taking me but the thing that i hadn't seen come in was that i was pushing people away that i wasn't enjoying my own company so christ knows i wasn't going to implement that you know i wasn't going to um make myself I wasn't going to enforce myself on other people so I just hid away and I was like actually this is a really sorry state you know this is a terrible way to live and it could take years for the anorexia's job to complete and by that time I'm not going to have anyone in my life and that would be the worst thing would be to be remembered as oh do you remember that dick so yeah I kind of decided that I was going to go get help for the depression but not the anorexia So how did you finally get diagnosed with anorexia? So it's really weird. It's really weird. But I think I went to the doctor the day after I'd done this incredible show. Um, and I remember coming off stage and so many amazing things had happened. That I should have been absolutely amazed about. And I just genuinely felt nothing. I felt absolutely bland nothing i felt empty and i went to the doctor and i explained what was going on and he sounds he said sounds like you have pretty severe depression um and i was like okay 
Uh, and I was very open about the anorexia. I said, look, this will come up. I've got anorexia uh, as well. Um, but I'm here for the depression. Uh, and he said, uh, okay. And he gave me some antidepressants and he helped me for that. And he sort of said, look, I think we really should refer you on to the um, to the eating disorders team because I think you really need that. And I knew the, the laws and the, the, the rules and the games that you can play to sort of get about being inpatiented. And I sort of said, I don't want help with the um, eating disorder. I know what I'm doing. I just want help with the depression. So they referred me on and referred me up the chain. And I'll never forget the only reason that I uh, engaged with treatment for the eating disorder was I think one poor doctor I think she was just at the end of her tether and it was this uh, they call them Lambeth talking therapies that's the local council kind of depression run line and I kind of been escalated to this woman and she was just so at the end of her tether and she said look you wouldn't expect your laptop to work if you don't charge it why do you think that your brain will work if you don't feed it and she was like so exasperated that I was like actually that's a a cock on analogy right there and she was like look the depression will not go away unless you treat the anorexia so you have a choice right now you can try and sort of do this journey but you will push people away you will feel like this for the rest of your living life and you don't even know what challenges that'll face or you can live up and look at the anorexia and change that behavior and i was like no god um and i went away uh and i took a little retreat and i thought about it and then i came back and i was like yeah i'm gonna do this um so i had two and a half years of treatment it was wonderful I was so lucky with my friend. genuinely I was so so privileged and I think that's why I do a lot of the stuff that I do now just out of sheer guilt because I had amazing amazing help I went to the Morsley hospital which is the best eating disorder hospital in the world and I always joke it's like the Hogwarts of eating disorders right and the woman that treated me is like the McGonagall of eating disorders and she she was she's amazing and these are kind of like world-leading academics that I just was kind of like on very good first name terms with in my in my treatment and they were brilliant they tried loads of different things with me so I had things like CBT which didn't really work work for me because that's a lot of uh, worksheets and a lot of writing and obviously I didn't have the attention span and the way that I work things through is I'm a talker because I don't really have a very good narrative voice that <laughs> genuinely it's not a lot going on inside my head so actually writing stuff down is very hard for me um, and, and I had uh, psychosexual therapy to look at the relationship of why did I think it was bad to have a sex drive and why did I think it was bad to to want sex and sort of work through that and i had uh, psychotherapy which is talking therapy and basically that was uh talking together and leading the conversation with a psychotherapist to find out the underpinnings of the anorexia why had i turned to this way of behavior and it was brilliant because it wasn't seeing it as bad or naughty it was seeing it as like okay well you've kind of subliminally come to this conclusion for a reason what is that reason so it's like playing cluedo with your own brain it was brilliant fun mm -hmm. i'm just curious what do you think was this late diagnosis related also to the fact that you are a man and it's not that common to have anorexia i think um I think I'm incredibly lucky with my status as being a bloke. And I think, to be honest, something that I feel really guilty about is I, if I had presented like I did as a female lady woman, would I have had the amazing, incredible treatment that I've had? And you'll never know that. But I do think because I was a little bit different and because it is lesser seen, then I think my treatment was incredible. Um, and and I'm, I'm kind of very atypical in the sense that I've never, I've been very comfortable in the sense that I'm not a laddie lad. And that's because I had a wonderful upbringing full of these incredible, wondrous, weird characters that were never like, they were always kind of like very, woo, like they were very weird 
people and i was very lucky with that but i know that like look if i'd have been brought up uh you know in a rugby playing football watching booze drinking manly macho culture then yeah i definitely would have found it difficult and i think a lot of people do find it difficult to acknowledge or understand or maybe even accept that men uh getting disorders but the way that i sort of like to look at it is um if i went to the dentist uh i wouldn't expect the the dentist to kind of go oh you've got you've got a cavity no that's odd you're a man you know what i mean and it's like men and women do have brains uh and you know yes there are sort of differences the jury's out on that but um eating disorders do uh, they're not like donald trump you know they don't discriminate based on race or gender or, or age they 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 can affect anyone mm-hmm. and you have mentioned that you did not feel anorexic enough did you face any stigma or prejudices because of the fact that maybe you did not look like deadly anorexic. I think I always worried that like, even now I look back at photos and I'm like, I don't know that bad. You know what I mean? Like, cause you want some sort of tabloid red top style photo. That's shocking. Uh, but that's, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the reality for most people. I think that's essentially a freak show because for every person that you read about in the tabloids that has anorexia and is like minutes away from death and ridiculously skinny and all these bones straight out, there are thousands of people that are suffering in silence that don't have that physical manifestation and actually if you just look at bulimia 80% of people with bulimia are a mid-range BMI if you saw them in the street there's absolutely no way that you would know and I did face you know like when I was up at the Edinburgh Fringe that year doing the show about anorexia you know a critic who's she's quite well known and she's on telly and stuff and she came up to me and she sort of said Dave I don't think you're really anorexic I think you're a white middle class man who has so much unchecked privilege you need to create something in order to feel special and you're like oh god and yeah I did get people that said stuff like you know you don't look anorexic but the, the thing is, I, I don't like talking about that for two reasons. The first one is I always hear these stories that have angry, acidic acerbity at their heart of like, I blame the doctors. They didn't pick it up. or I blame this person. But actually, look, I don't think that helps anyone whatsoever. And also, secondly, I don't think people are led by you know woe is me and trying to make yourself out to be the victim i think people are led by positivity and enthusiasm and i think that's why it's really important to sort of say look this is what helped me get better because for all of those people that did say unhelpful things uh, a tiny minority teeny teeny tiny like infinitesimal said it to be hurtful and most of those people said it because they didn't realize that saying, you know, you don't look anorexic. You know, people might not even consider that to be a hurtful thing. And I'm not going to sort of have a go at their ignorance because, you know, what, we're all born into ignorance. And it's actually our job as campaigners to make it interesting for people and to educate other people. Yeah, And you talk a lot about mental health and also that the suicide rates committed in connection to anorexia are very high. Is it a problem in your opinion which is not addressed enough? Because maybe when we, when it comes to eating disorders, it is easier or we tend to focus on physical appearance and we look for explanations there rather than focusing on, on what's really happening inside. Yeah, I think a weird thing happens that like every sort of two to three years there's always some story that sort of says you know eating disorders and it's generally you know male but you know eating disorders numbers have rocketed and everyone's always like oh this is terrible this is awful and yes each one of those stories is a personal tragedy and i genuinely do hope that all of those people that come forward get the help but i think what is happening now is more and more people are realizing that they themselves are displaying the signs of an eating disorder and more and more people are feeling comfortable talking about their mental health so i think it's amazing that more men are feeling empowered to go to the gp that more people are changing and looking for healthier ways to benefit but i think like you say eating disorders are a really icky sticky difficult 
topic because as we realize more oh it's not about how you look and then you realize more that oh it's actually not really that much about food then i think people will start to realize oh god this is this is really a bigger thing only like in edinburgh last year one of my mates um came home he had a bad gig and he ordered a chinese and the takeaway came and he ate that and while he was eating that he then ordered a curry and that curry came and he ate that and then when he'd finished that he sort of said oh I'm going to go get some chips. And I was like, that that's three meals, man. That's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not having a go at all. Like, absolutely. But that's quite a lot. Are you all right? And he genuinely said, he was like, trying to eat my feelings, aren't I? And I was like, that is an eating disorder. And there's so many people that are binge eating, that are using food as comfort, using food as coping, but don't even see it as an eating disorder. And I think as, you know, more and more people start to talk about this, more and more of us are going to realize oh okay so you know john at the office yeah he definitely has an eating disorder how would you say um is anorexia still a battle for you or did you win the fight already i think i heard someone put it the other uh, the other week that i really like someone said i've retired from anorexia and i just really really like that it's so like oh, i've done that i'm not gonna move on from it i kind of the way i always think about it is i feel further away from the anorexia now than uh i think i ever have done you know like before all of this started there are still residual things like i still find christmas quite difficult i still find being uh, up at my uh, mum's with all the food around really difficult uh when i was uh discharged after two and a half years they they sort of weigh you uh, I'm, i'm against that but whatever they weigh you whenever you leave the disorder you know i'll never forget i jumped on the scales and my therapist looked at the scales and looked at me and went oh dave i don't really know how to tell you this but like you're now technically overweight. And <laughs> I was like, is that a good thing? Is that, have we beaten this or have I gone the other way? And and I think that it, it's going to be one of those things that um, I'm always going to have to like keep an eye on it. But I've had some wonderful, incredible treatment. And I think that I'm starting to understand the sort of reasons that I went into it. I'm starting to see the underpinnings of it. But the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, it doesn't fit a clickbait two-sentence style media that we've got, is that mental health is something that has to be maintained. And you wouldn't expect your car to run without an MOT, without you filling up the petrol, without you checking the tires. Yet we do kind of expect our brains to just tick along with absolutely no servicing. So, yeah, like everyone, I'm going to have to keep an old eye on my mental health and that is different that's difficult because you know i can never get a break from my own mind so it's difficult to see the slow you know dip down or the gradual pick up but it is something that i'm very lucky that i've been probed to think about and hopefully i can start to spot the signs in that and know where to look for the coping mechanisms you also wrote a book about your experiences uh how did you come up with an idea to write a book did you see that there was a gap and something was not addressed about eating disorders or maybe men facing anorexia so i i feel really really I, i'm really blessed and i'm really lucky and privileged to have written a book and everything that's come with that i'm very lucky with that but i hated it and i writing a book's proper hard work and you don't get paid anything for it and it's absolutely no fun whatsoever so like people come to me now and like oh i want to write a book how did you go about it but the truth and the honest truth of the matter is i was very fortuitous that someone uh, a publisher approached me at a show and sort of said look we're uh, thinking about writing we want to write a book uh, about male anorexia we're looking for stories would you consider doing this so i was really lucky that i got approached and it kind of came through a mate so it, it is one of those things that like uh, i would never had they have come to me uh would never have thought of writing a book and i'll tell you what i won't be doing it again um but it, it's it was odd and i'm very privileged and very lucky that i i got that opportunity and they were very um keen on the male angle they were very keen on the um 
the the sort of the comedy style and i'll be honest i nearly walked away from the contract numerous times for numerous different things and there were some really long lengthy meetings and years genuinely years went by when we were just negotiating contracts and things that they weren't comfortable with or i wasn't comfortable with but the only way that the only thing that really made me think of writing the book was someone said to me at the publishers they said look write the book that you needed when you were 17 because there's loads of books out there now and there's so many people selling their stories and and that's brilliant i think it's amazing that people are sharing their stories but i see an increased cynicism of um sort of lower down the chain celebrities you know, I've, I've seen numerous people sort of saying, oh, celebrities just come out now with a mental illness in order to sort of boost their record sales. And although that I think that is very cynical, I didn't want to be someone that is being seen to sort of use my mental illness in order to leverage more Twitter followers. And the only way that I could kind of reconcile this with myself was there genuinely was no other book out there that I could see that would give me a giggle but also give me some actual tangible coping mechanisms and those are the two things that i wanted i wanted people to treat me like a person not a patient as soon as people found out that i've got a mental illness they started whispering around me like i was something that was fragile that was going to break um and and although i think you know the stories that people share are incredible and i think they're amazing and absolute mega props and i will always support anyone that wants to talk about their mental health or you know even their mental illness um and i think that's incredible but i think the more and more people that are talking about their mental health makes more people think oh maybe i've got that or maybe i'm vulnerable to that and the problem is you're just making more and more people aware that they might have an illness, but you're not helping them. You're not giving them the antidote. You're not giving them any direction of where to go. And it's kind of like saying to someone, oh, feel for testicular cancer. Oh, I think I found a lump. Okay, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do next. That's, that's terrible. So that was the only thing that made me want to write the book was to actually give tangible coping mechanisms and use humor sensitively and because it was about anorexia i originally wanted to call it the real hunger games because uh, i thought that was already a title uh but again that was something that i was shot down on but i think that you know i think a lot more blokes have eating disorders of all different types than we realize and setting that aside in a very serious somber silenced conversation and that tone that comes with it i think scares more people than it does makes people feel comfortable it definitely did for me so i just wanted to be like yeah look you might have this thing it's not the end of the world we can change it and what advice would you give to the people who are struggling with anorexia or other eating disorders besides that they need to read your book <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, don't read that. I mean, firstly, my advice is don't read my book. You know what I mean? So we've only got a certain amount of years in our life. I don't want you wasting it on that. I think my, I think my genuine advice would be, firstly, it's okay not to know how you feel. And don't see this in any where people always say, just talk. And I wanted to just talk. I wanted to confide in someone, but I didn't know what I wanted to say. No one had told me. So it's okay to feel like it's a little bit chaotic. It's okay to feel... Um, like that you might not even have an eating disorder that's fine you're not like putting anything on the line so it's okay not to have those words i think the advice would be to uh read up other people's stories and you know maybe other people's stories might resonate something with you sometimes people can put into words things better than you could yourself it's like holding up a mirror to your own experiences and go yes that's what it is so i think like reading other people's stories has a huge value and that's why i'd never sort of say it's evil um but i think there's there's incredible charities out there like beat uh they're the uk's eating disorder charity you've got mind you've got the mental health foundation um and i also think that if you do worry that you've got an eating disorder don't think of it as taking the eating disorder away think about it as getting something back in your life because although for me the anorexia took away 
uh, you know, the, the sort of sex drive worries, it took to, it took away anxiety, it kind of overtook in terms of addiction. It actually, actually getting rid of the anorexia gave a lot of stuff back. And people kept on saying, oh, you should get rid of the anorexia. And that was a terrifying thing because you're taking something away. But if you see it as like gaining something back, so I could gain my attention span back. I could gain my sense of humor back. I could gain my fun and socializing back. And one of the things that I loved about therapy was it was my own little stupid boy project. And I could try stuff in the name of recovery that I'd never do before. And yeah, there were a lot of disasters, but they were funny. And there were a lot of things that I took up that I was like, I would never have thought that I would have enjoyed that. So enjoy it because recovery doesn't have to be something that you do because, you know, spoiler alert, mental health lasts with you for the rest of your life. It's not something you can just kind of close and put it on the bookshelf. But also, people are motivated by fun so make your recovery fun don't feel like it's something that's imposed that was dave charner and his anorexia story for more information blog posts and the latest news visit ibounceback.net otherwise don't forget to tune in to a new episode on august 26. for me my mother wouldn't have seen anything in terms of pain other than she would have seen protest. So with me, my pain was very clear. You know, I was begging, please don't do this to me, you know, through my language, through my physical demeanor, begging them to please don't let don't don't force me into a marriage. And my mother just saw somebody who was not doing what she expected to do and therefore needed to be punished. That's it for today. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.